Experienced, versed, and industry-focused. These are just a few of the words that come to my mind from my conversation with Gordon Morse. Gordon has an extensive background within the financial services space, from being a financial advisor and restructuring a few firms to now consulting and helping financial advisory firms push through both growing pains and desires to innovate. Gordon has seen the evolution of our industry and believes very much in the need to innovate and grow our firms. Today, we are lucky enough to have Gordon on the show to talk about where the industry was, where it is going, and how firms are able to keep ahead in this ever-changing environment. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Gordon, thanks for joining us here today. Happy to be here. Yeah, so we were talking before we started recording. We should have just recorded it right there, but... You're a, uh, a big music guy, and Zeppelin uh, yeah, has a yeah. big part of, of your band. of your band. band. There you go. So, yeah. so what what why has music been such a big part of your life? I I think just at an early age, I developed some relationships that uh, turned me on to music, and it's always been there. It's been an important part of my life, and you know, I've got three daughters, and I used to play sing them music, you know, sing them songs when they were babies. And it just, I don't know, it's always helped, uh, you know, flatten the uh, the cycles for me. Yeah. It's always been a great escape. Are you a guy that listens to music uh, while working? Do you always have music in the background? Or no, do you, you, no, no, no. When I'm working, I'm pretty hardcore and yeah. I'm focused. But when, when I relax, I like to listen to music. Yeah. And so, no, when I'm, you know, when I'm not working, I do. I I listen to music a lot. Yeah, a lot so and just got the earbuds, man. Those the, things are, the earbuds, the, the, the earbuds. Yeah, yeah those, those are great. Are awesome. Those are great. Awesome. Uh, and that, actually, they're awesome for phone calls too, because people think you're like it's they like are. clear. They are. Uh, I never thought they would work that well, but Apple knows something. They One do. Of the things, two they things. do. Um, the so we were talking about best venues in Atlanta and your favorite one of your favorite Chastain. venues is Chastain. 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 What I love about Chastain is the ability of when you can bring your own table, bring your own food. Yes. It's outdoors and it's really you feel like you're still. It's not too big. You're right. still there and you can get some great shows there. Right. At right. It's venue. a great experience. It is. It's a great experience. It is. It's a different experience. It's different for the artists. You know, they're looking out and seeing everybody eating and drinking. Yeah. I've seen some like kind of get pissed off over it but in general it's real it's a really cool way to see a concert yeah it is a great and venue. it's right in the heart of our beautiful city yeah i mean if you have a house right there then you get free concerts yes. all the time yes. whether you yes. like it or not you, you, like get, yeah, or not. you get a free concert whether it's kiss or whoever maybe <laughs> um well good well yeah I, i'm a big music fan i'm not i'm moving up the ladder i'm trying good. to become better with music i have a lot of friends that are into it and my brother is a big music guy as well but um uh, I'm the guy that listens to music as he works because I, I'd like to have something in the background for some yes. reason. I don't know why. Help you focus. Um, so, uh, and there's a study on it that there's, there's a, it's funny how there's drastic different views of music in, in the background because some people love to listen as a music person. I'm sure you love to listen to the instruments and you can hear and understand what is going on. I have no clue what the heck's going on. I just like to hear the, the sounds yeah. that are going on. I'm like, that was pretty good. I like the stories. Yeah, the stories. I like the, the stories. The words, I agree. Yes. Uh, well, let's get into kind of the meat of this, right? And right. I'm excited to have you on because I think that uh, when we talked prior, you, know, you have a really unique perspective of this industry. And um, what we're trying to do here on the show is always provide different perspectives and mm -hmm. also value add that firms can take today. And I think that you provide that. And so I want to start out um, really simple. And I always like to do this with all of our guests. From from your perspective, the RA industry, I want, you know, what's the state of our industry? If you were to give a state of the union, what are two or three points that you would put in the state of the union of our industry today? Uh, 
That's a good question. I think number one, the RIA space is in the best place it's ever been, as far as I'm concerned. Um, with with technology, the ability to custody, you know, multi custodian. The R the RIA is now in a position more so than any time I've seen it to compete against anybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody. And it's the technology and it's the custody and the safety of assets and the reporting um, and the ability to really be unencumbered by a large firm that will limit your ability to really service your clients in the way that you want to service them. So I think the RIA industry is in a good place. Um, It's very competitive. Mm -hmm. It's extremely hard to differentiate yourself. Um, But it's always going to be there, and it's not going away. Mm -hmm. Never has, never will. And it's just a matter of... Trying to figure out, you know, the best way to connect and keep clients. Mm-hmm. And and so when you say that about where the RA industry is today, why wasn't the RA industry in that same spot ten years ago? Technology. Yeah. I mean, I mean, ten years ago, um, it was the the view, in my opinion, of the independent advisor was not really. Um, it it wasn't a quality view. Um, but now because of technology and because of the, 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 the level of sophistication that some of these like Schwab and Fidelity and some of the big custodians, the amount of money they've invested in it has taken the RIA from a place where it was hard to compete to where now you can compete with anybody. Mm. So that's that 10 years ago, it was hard to do that. Uh, but now, w- because of technology and the access and the, and, and, and the kind of um, innovation that's going on right now, it's, it's a great time to be an RIA. Mm-hmm. Great time. And the ability, I mean, and so in your mindset, it's a matter of saying that the investment that a Schwab and a Fidelity have put into innovation and then opening up that access to independent advisors yes. now now levels the playing field versus the the, the the millions, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars that like a Merrill Lynch or a Morgan Stanley have yes. put into their, to, for their broker dealers and advisor reps as well. And so that's where we're at now, relative to where we're. I mean, if you think about the technology that Schwab had ten years ago, it was terrible, right? And now where they have it, it's it, Schwab's technology is is some of the leading technology around. Absolutely. And so that that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely, Schwab, Schwab, and and listen, I came out of the non RIA world. Mm-hmm. You know, I was mm-hmm. with the the boutiques. You know, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, Oppenheimer, etc. Um, and th- 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 those firms. You know, we're 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 well ahead of the independents because the independents didn't have that access to the mm-hmm. to 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 the resources. You know, but these firms, Schwab, Fidelity, et cetera, they've made massive investment and they and they and they've now leapfrogged it. And and also, I think the wirehouses um, they're they're dying. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're old. Uh, when I first got in the industry, it was youth. It was energy. It was, you know, and I watched the, the industry gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm watching one part of it die while another part kind of takes market share. There's a, 
there's a mm. economist called Schumpeter, and he he talks about something called creative destruction. That 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 we go through periods of creative destruction. I think right now financial services is in that period. Walk me through what's speak. creative destruction. It's it's the new eating the old. Literally, it's a very Darwinistic uh, survival of the fittest. And Schumpeter talks that there's periods of time when economies or or sectors of economies go through creative destruction, kind of like what Amazon did to retail, mm-hmm. you know. And right now, we're going through creative destruction, creative destructive period in financial services, especially with the the older established firms. Um, literally dying a slow death, and these smaller, agile, uh, uh, more client-centered firms mm-hmm. um, can now not only compete but beat them at their own game. But does that mean that – because like, if you think about Amazon and the retail, which I think is a great example, because it is – Amazon came in to an antiquated system which had mom and pop shops and Walmart basically, yes. right? And it forced the mom and pop shops if they want to stay around, they got to figure something else out, a unique value prop. Yes. And change the way that they've done business. They can't just say that. and then Walmart has drastically changed the way they're doing business because of it. So does does that mean uh, that the wirehouses are dead or that the wirehouses are going to have to reinvent themselves in terms of if they want to stay alive? I mean, I think that they're both probably similar I think areas, I, you but, know, I no, I understand I understand yeah. what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying. I think the wirehouses, they have one major problem um, that puts me on the, when I look at the pan balance scale, where are they? Mm-hmm. Um, they're in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. because they're not bringing any youth into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, the average age of the advisor is probably in the wirehouse. I've got to believe now, late fifties, early sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I walk through a you know a, a UBS office or a Merrill Lynch office or you know I I, I it's it's gray, mm-hmm. it's old. Um, when I go visit um, my RIA clients, they're younger. Mm-hmm. There's more energy. Um, and it's a real, they're two different worlds, hmm. you know? They're yeah. two different worlds. And I see this world eating this world. I don't know what this world will end up looking like. They're well capitalized. So right. they, they've got the parent, they got the mothership, right. you know? And they got the brand, which is big. I mean, and, and, they do, and they do have the brand, yeah. although I don't know what the brand really means now to the That's newer fair. generation of investors. I'm not sure that... It means anything. That's fair. You know? So. What, what is a – so when we look at – so the, the evolution of the industry over the past 10 years has been technology, right? That's, that's, that's leveled the playing field. You know, I, I, I want to kind of – I'm going to put a damper on the conversation for a second and say what's the con of where we are today relative to where we've been in the past, right? If you have to look at where our industry is today, where, why, where are we I'll worse you, off than the past? Uh, 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 the inability to really differentiate hmm. in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. Um, when, 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 I, when I first got in the industry, now, now this was the mid-late 80s. This was like the start of the equitization of America. So I've had a front row seat to watching the financial services industry uh, evolve. And there's a lot of checks, extremely positives. And there are some negatives. For sure, mm-hmm. um, you're not really throwing a damper on it. You're just 
you're talking about something that's very real. And one of the things that's very real is, is that it's so much harder to differentiate because mm. the technology has leveled the playing field, you know, and, and the playing field also has more participants because it's, it's not just the ba- banks, it's the insurance companies, it's these quasi-financial institutions, it's the RIA world, you know, there's a lot of people competing, you know, for, for the investor class. And then you have, you know, fintech coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, my feeling is that a lot of those firms haven't seen a bear market when they do. They're, it's going to be trouble because yeah. the, the connectivity between the advisor and the client isn't going to be there. So how can firms, so differentiation is a problem, right? I, I think you can say that investment management is becoming commoditized. Yeah. Um, you know, financial planning to an extent is becoming somewhat commoditized because of technology, right? I now agree. everybody has access to it. Now you can put different spins on it, but it's, it's on its way to being commoditized, right? Um, so where, how do firms differentiate them themselves? Well, You've got to be creative, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I've never been in your offices before, but, you know, I, I walked in your offices and I saw certain things that, like, you know, they make you feel good, mm-hmm. you know? And whether it's the, um, you know, the the wall of, you know, values out there or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I believe that, you know, people may not remember what you say. They may not remember what you do, but they're always going to remember how you make them feel. So I think as a RIA, you got to be thinking, okay, how, how can we create an experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's unique? You know? Um, you know, I haven't experienced your firm yet, but just walking in, I see a differentiation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's about RIAs have to be thinking about, okay, because fi- financial advice, financial planning, Asset allocation, it's it's commoditized, all mm-hmm. right. So then it comes down to yeah, there's there's ways to tweak it and you know ways to um, massage it so that there are some maybe um, subtle differentiation between the philosophies. So the investment or, or, or you know asset allocation philosophy, you really got to be thinking about the client experience. And you really have to be evaluating, like, what are you doing to um, differentiate the client experience? Mm -hmm. Because in the end, you do have control of that. Right. And and when you say client experience, so client experience is something we talk about a lot on this show. And and I'm a firm believer in client experience, that you got to focus on the client making that experience. And you got to think outside the box, which... It's hard for advisors, right? We're, as an advisor, uh, you know, we're very analytical. We're very, you know, foundational and fundamental in our, our approaches. Uh, and being creative and thinking outside the box in terms of how to create a client experience is outside our, our, our scope, right? I agree. And so with, with your clients, right, what does client experience mean, right? You, you mentioned the office, but what else does client experience mean? for? Um, cl- client experience... Um, First of all, it's 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 you got to have a personal connectivity with the client, right? Part of it, it's the relationship, right? And it's and 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 a lot of that. I'm just going to leave that aside and and say that the, the advisors know that it's important to be connected, 
um, to not let technology be a uh, uh, an excuse for a lack of connectivity. It's actually it adds connectivity, but it, you know it's personal touch and it's high tech, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to kind of leave certain aspects of that aside. Client experience to me is let me give an example. All right, a few examples actually. If you can. First of all, you you have to have a system in place where you have ongoing connectivity and Mm -hmm. touching. That's very important. You can't just put them in a program and forget about them. You have to have a system in place, systematic um, program in place to to have that connectivity, to make that call. How are you, you know, to to build that, to have that talking, just Mm -hmm. like you and I are. Um, but but let me give an example of 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 where RIAs can think differently, think outside the box, and and do some things that will uh, create experiences where people are going to feel like that was a really cool experience. And remember, they're always going to remember how you make them feel. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a um, there was a small Italian motorcycle exhibit here in Atlanta mm-hmm. a few years ago, and um, I at the time I was I was in the industry and I you know and and um, talking with a, gr- a group of advisors I'm like hey let's do a private showing of this Italian motorcycle exhibit mm-hmm. people are gonna like it it's gonna be exclusive so if you can create experiences that people in general aren't gonna have access to it doesn't have to be financial services related it can be art related it could be it could be a music related, mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. Um, and inviting a small group, inviting the right group of prospects and existing clients. It's a way to nurture the business. It's a way to kind of you know potentially add to the business, and and because you you just have to think, how am I going to differentiate myself? And it's it's client experience, it's connectivity, it's. Um, it's really thinking about your clients, understanding them completely mm. and being able to bring things to their attention that you know that they're going to be connected to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like a deep, it's a deep relationship. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, it's not dissimilar to the relationship you have with your physician yeah, or the relationship that you have with a, 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 a you know, a priest or a rabbi, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's that deep. That's how you differentiate yourself. It's interesting how you say that because I think that a few points come to mind as I'm as I'm listening to you. Right, the connectivity, the constant connectivity is a, is a major aspect, right? And how they feel and giving them an experience that they couldn't get anywhere else, right? Those are three main things. And so the question gets to is in how you do that, right? And I think that as advisors, we've always been prone to either not segment our clients and try to deal with them all the same way, which is is you know commendable, but hard to do when you scale. But the second way that we do it is like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll segment my clients. And then you segment them based on AUM. And it's like, all right, well, here are my million dollar clients, here are my five. But that's not necessarily the right way of segmenting. What you really should do is you should be segmenting based on desires and, and characteristics and what do they like to do and what do they not like to do? Because then you have the ability of saying, all right, I want to go take all my people that like music and we're going to go get a 
but I have a behind the scenes pass to meet Tim McGraw. I don't know what it is, right? Right. I'm going to go take them to do that. Right. And that's something that's unique. Or I'm going to send them tickets or send them articles. And then you can create these constant that are personalized and have your clients really understand who you are. And and that's the, you know, that's the outside the box thinking that I think that an advisory firm needs to do. And I'm going to go down a path that here for a second is that I don't know if they're able to do that in the same structure as we are today as an industry. And the reason I say that is many of the owners and founders and leaders of a financial advisory firm are still managing a book of business. In order to think like you're saying you need to think in terms of building that deep, you got to businessize your business to where you have people that are just thinking on that all day, every day, and aren't dealing with the client management. Now, they should have experience there. And I would love, I mean, as you're working with firms, what are you seeing in re- regards to that businessization of it? Because I, don't, I think that advisors are listening to this and be like, that's a lot of time. Like, I've got to manage these clients. It is. And, um, and so in order to do that, I think you have to change the way you think about how you structure your business. I, I, I completely agree. Um, I think one of the things that um, takes time for advisors to, to absorb is that because when you first get in the business, you're going to take everything you can get, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, and, and that is the right attitude. You're hungry. You're not laser focused on, you know, maybe a certain type. You're you're casting the net. You're bringing it in. You're building that business underneath you. You're trying to get that asset base to a level where um, it can it can be a you know create a stable uh, you know source of revenue, et cetera. Um, but then we have to say, okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna take this kind of pot of clients that I love and that I care for, and how do I restructure it differently so that I can grow? Well, fewer is actually better. In other words, there's, there's only so many people that you can provide, depending on the size of your firm, that world-class experience to, mm-hmm. and where you're going to build, you're limited to the quantity of relationships, depending on the size of your firm, mm-hmm. you know, um, the you know the larger the firm, the more relationships. But you know, to me, it's ideally um, cultivating that smaller group that you are providing that world class service to. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do. And do you, I mean, does, it's hard does to push away business, right? But does technology allow that to be done to more people? D- does I I believe so. Yeah, if I used the so. right way. If used the right way, yes. Mm-hmm. I think that technology is. Man, look what it's done. It's been the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's incredible. And if you can just blend leveraging technology that. Enhances the client experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do it with more people. You can be better organized. <clears throat> you can you can be more laser focused mm-hmm. in in segmenting your clients in the right way. I always used to. I always used to when it, when I saw it, when I when I encountered advisors and work with advisors and myself. I used to look at the book segmentation thing. Is this is not the right way to segment? Mm-hmm. I mean, you you mm-hmm. were hundred mm-hmm. percent right. You have to segment. Forget about the assets. It's what's the nature of the relationship and the potential 
of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how books are best segmented. But in the end, in my opinion, but in the end, it's about creating uh, an infrastructure underneath you to service um, not a massive group of clients, a smaller group of clients where you have the deep, deep relationship with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To me, that's the ideal model. I agree. I think that um, I think that there's technology can enable you to kind of put some people on autopilot and still keep them. Yes. But but it, but it also allows you to scale and focus on deepening the relationship and create more meaningful relationships yes, with clients. Now it does. Now with you know with all this in mind, right? So you walk into an advisor firm today, and they say, "Hey, Gordon, I want you to help me differentiate my firm." What's the first thing you do? I want to deeply understand. Um, the first thing that I do is take the time to really understand what is the business model today. I have to mm-hmm. understand that mm-hmm. and go deep with them on how it's currently constructed so that then I can kind of say, okay, now that I have a deep understanding, here are, here are the things that I think are, are really important that we focus on. You know, but it starts, it's just like the client, it's the same exact experience. It's like you want to develop a deep understanding of someone before you um, really give them advice that, you know, if taken, it's a big deal, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, because it's, I mean, you're talking about people's livelihoods, Mm -hmm. you know, and in the case of investors, you're talking about, you know, their their money and I, I, sadly i've seen i've seen a class of investors that cares more about their money than their family or their health yeah. you know it's like to me there's three critical things it's you know it's your family your health and your financial health mm-hmm. you know and um you know i've seen I, i've seen certain, so but my point is is that what I, what i do is i want to gain as deep an understanding i want to ask Good questions, and so that I can understand how the business is currently constructed, and then say, okay, because everybody's different, everybody's mm-hmm. unique. That is the beauty of financial services. There's so many ways mm-hmm. to approach it. Mm-hmm. No one has the monopoly on the, the the right philosophy. There are many philosophies that make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, and I I think that um, I agree. With that, I think that the different, and that's how I think the differentiation happens from the relationship, right? And that's what we've, we're coming to yes. from that standpoint. Yes. I want to get into uh, buy or sell uh, here in a second, but I, but I have to, I always ask this question. I always start with the same question with our clients or our guests, and I start with the last, end with the last question, the same question. Sitting in your seat right now, let's take out the crystal ball. What does our industry look like 10 years from today? I, 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 I think that uh, it's, it's never going away. I think that you can commoditize everything but a relationship. You cannot commoditize a relationship. So I think the industry is going to continue to leverage technology to create deep relationships that that are are going to 
be sticky. I think that the the, the compensation model mm-hmm. could definitely change. It could be more like, you know, software as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in the end, the, the the individual relationship that's not going away. Mm-hmm. Uh, technology can't replace that. It can only enhance it and enable it mm-hmm. to scale and enable it to to keep connectivity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's so. I think I think I think the RIAs are the new king of the jungle. Mm-hmm. I think they're the new lions that are going to control the you know the planes if you will i think the old firms are slowly dying they'll be there but that's not where the 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 innovation's going to come from that's not where the the connectivity and the great client experience is going to come from it's coming from the ria world as we speak yeah it's a very exciting future yeah no i agree with much of that the one thing that i think is going to be the uh differentiation is the SaaS model the pricing model is a big topic of conversation and i think that everybody's worried about fee compression and you know they should my be. my and and so and and i think that that that's a fair point. My point of view, though, is that I don't think it's going to be fee compression. I think that clients are comfortable in understanding of the fee today. They don't like change either, right? They have to then understand something new, right. and uh, and they have to go because it's not like we're introducing a whole new uh, industry, right? The Agreed. industry they understand how Agreed. it's being priced, right? Agreed. It's not Uber. Uh, you know, Uber is still the same pricing, similar pricing as taxis, and so distance and everything of that yes. nature. So, yes. I think that the one percent is actually going to stay the same. The challenge, though, for financial advisors is that your clients are going to start seeing that there's a lot more value that be, can, can be drew, derived from that one percent. And so, as a financial advisor, you're going to be forced by your clients to deliver more services, value, and servicing for that same fee than you were ten years ago. Which then means that the true root cause of the problem is margin compression, and in the and, and the study that I, I, I use for that thesis is, is a price metric study from 2018. And they, they looked at advisory firms. They looked at the advisory firms, um, a group of advisory firms that lowered their fees and a group of advisory firms that kept their fees the same or increased it. And the ones that kept their fees or increased it actually saw greater AUM per advisor. So they, ba- they, they kind of made it even, leveled it out, than those that lowered their fees. And the reason is is because the ones that lower their fees are hiding something. They're lowering their fees to try to cover for a lack of value, lack of service, or lack of servicing. Whereas the other ones are putting a lot of time into servicing and values to where they can do whatever they want with their fee and their clients aren't going to leave. And I think that that's, in my point of the industry, is that if you don't figure out how to become efficient and scalable, then you're going to have really reduced margins, and that's not why anybody got in. I mean, people got into this business to change lives, but as a business owner and you're looking at the bottom line, you're not going to want to see your margins compress over time. So even if your top line is looking healthy, right. you're just throwing more into right. the expense side of the right. column. So right. Um, right. I, I think that that's, I, I, that could be a whole other podcast. I mean, I want to, uh, in terms of fee compression, because I think that is a hot topic in our industry today, for sure. Uh, and, I, and, and, and you're right. I, got, I hate to say this, but it, it is so true, um, and and we've all heard this, but it, it 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 is a natural law. I mean, price is an issue in the absence of value. Yep, it really is. So, and and there are a universe of firms they're competing on price. You're a hundred percent. I agree with you. I think you're right on. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're hiding something. Agreed. And what they're hiding is a lack of 
full connectivity and a lack of full delivery on an experience that a client is going to love. Mm-hmm. And and yes, and 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 I and I and I do agree. I mean, I've heard both sides of the argument. I've heard people say, "Oh my, you know, the average fee is going down to you know fifty beeps all in," and it might for certain segments of the market. It could, mm-hmm. but but you're not going to get the service. You're not going to get the client experience. You're not going to get the ne- the connectivity. So yes, there are firms that will be able to hold that off mm-hmm. through the client experience. And especially if you're catering to entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs know more than anybody that they're willing to pay for, for they, they see value mm-hmm. because they're building a business, you know, or they're running a business. So yes, if there's real value and there's real connectivity and that the objective is about developing a, re, a, a deep relationship and not putting them in the machine and just letting it feed through the machine, mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to they're gonna get hit bad. Yeah, I agree. But there'll be a survivor, there'll be survivors that can stay, that will be able to continue to justify the 1% in the face of the 50 beeps all in over here. Yep. No question. Yep. Yep. I agree. All right. Buy or sell. It's my, uh, as we, as you alluded to, the CNBC game the that CNBC I, I, brought, moment. I brought onto here. Yeah. So your CNBC moment, Joe Kernan, all of them, <laughs> Becky Quick. Uh, Love them. All of them. Uh, buy or sell. Buy means you agree with the statement. Sell means you disagree. Four statements. And after you give your opinion, you can give a, a quick statement of why you, you lean one way or the other. And we'll see if you're a bull or a bear. All right. Buy or sell. Our industry will see the same type of Amazon, quote, disruption that under, other industries like retail have seen. Buy. Explain. Uh, we're in a creative destructive period right now. Okay. And um, with the advent of all, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, behavioral psychology, we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see some amazing things. But yeah, die. All right, I'll take it. Buy or sell? Advisors are correct to believe that their quote white glove service will be diminished if they utilize more technology solutions to interact with clients. Sell, sell. I mean, it's the technology is an asset mm-hmm. it is an ally it is something that if used properly it's a beautiful thing and it enhances a relationship mm-hmm. and I, I would add on to that and that's why i like this question because i can talk on it too as well is if you don't believe your clients are already interacting with technology you're foolish because if you're not texting your clients you don't have a mobile portal or a mobile app or whatever it may be your clients are interacting with Facebook, they're interacting on FaceTime, they like video conferencing, they're texting their friends, they're doing it with other services and other industries. And if someone else gets them and they start seeing that that's how they live their life and that's normal and you're not doing it, they're gonna start questioning you. And that's what you don't want. Buy or sell, continued innovation in our industry will have to come from outside minds as opposed to people close to the industry today. Sell. Wow, okay, go, go down that. Sell. Um, our industry attracts the best and the brightest. Not all, yes, not all advisors are um, outside the box. However, however, um, there are a lot of incredibly talented people in our industry. And uh, our industry has always been uh, good, I think, 
um, especially with the advent of the RIA world, I'm talking about the industry as a whole, I think our industry is very evolutionary, and I think there's a lot of bright people with a lot of great ideas. And now that the technology's there, a lot of their great ideas are going to come to fruition. I mean, a lot of the old firms have birthed the new firms. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it. Think about the migration, mm-hmm. you know? They're very talented people, you know? They're just, and they're smart. They're getting out, they're getting into the RIA world. And so I think with the more, as technology continues to come on, the industry will be able to reinvent itself. It's not going to take an, you know, an Elon Musk or something mm-hmm. like that to disrupt it. I don't believe it. I love the optimism. And I, I, I can see that view. I think that there's a value of being innovative within the industry and knowing the industry because it is a unique industry in terms of the relationships and the psychological barriers of dealing with money and such like that. So. Um, I like that. I'm, I'm on. I'm in your camp on that. I like that. All right, last one. Buy or sell. And I wasn't expecting for us to talk about this earlier, so I think I know where you're going to lean. The future of fees within our industry will look more like a subscription or Netflix model as opposed to the traditional AUM percentage fee model. Buy. 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 We already talked about yes. that. Yeah, yes. we already talked about that. So you're kind of on the. You're you're a uh, you're you're we're a hold right now. You're not a bull. You're not a bear. You got two bulls, two buys, two sells. So you're a hold. That's a that's a good spot to be. Uh, in, yeah. in an uncertain market environment yes. that we're in today, yes. that's a perfect spot yes. to be, right? Yes. Not, not yes. going one way or two. There are there are times when it makes sense just to sit tight yeah. and and let it unfold. Yeah, and that's you where know? you are. I yes. like it. I like yes. it. Uh, all right, that's another edition of buy buy or sell. Uh, now we're going to get your closing thought. I'll give a closing thought and then we'll kind of wrap up and let everybody get back to their day. But, uh, you know, for your closing thought and go, you know, go down whichever path you want, but what's, you know, think about what is one thing that an advisor can really take back to their firm tomorrow or tonight and implement and, uh, actually push their firm forward in terms of relative to the industry. I think, I think the, I think the firm has to make a collective commitment to developing deep relationships and go back and evaluating the relationships. How, where is the depth here? What is missing here? And, 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 and putting in a plan to attack that. Um, because again, it's, it's, it's about that interpersonal connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the special sauce. And yes, that is influenced by technology. It's influenced by organization. It's influenced by, you know, that, that the individual reaching out. But I would, I would ask every firm, Hey, what, you know, what is our, what is our client experience? Mm -hmm. How do we, you know, let's crystallize it. What does it look like? What is the ideal client relationship for our firm look like? Mm -hmm. And how do we try to replicate that with our existing clients and how do we try to articulate that to attract new clients Mm -hmm. i love that i think that client experience and devoting time as a firm to all of that is is really um is really key and i i I think that it's up to a firm to make that commitment it's a capacity thing right you have to have a monetary capacity but you also have to have a time capacity and a willingness to do that i think that i think that's really good yes um For me and my closing thought, I want to start with a quote by Bob Berg, a well-known speaker and author. And he says, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. I spend a lot of my time talking about technology innovation, which is a piece to the puzzle. After you figure out a company why and after you create a culture of learning, 
and identifying processes internally. But many people view adopting technology as, quote, innovating. And there's still a large group of people that are tied to do it the way they have been in fear of being replaced, both of which are incorrect beliefs. I don't see a future of our industry without humans playing an extremely large and important role. Actually, I see a future where the human plays an even larger role in creating the true value proposition and differentiation of firms in this industry. Technology is an enablement tool that allows people and firms to innovate on ways to create more time for themselves and their teams. Technology should be used as an enabler to allow us, humans and advisors, to develop deeper, more meaningful relationships with our clients. Being innovative in the process that we currently use and trying to evolve them should be for the reason of creating more personalized touch points with more of our clients and allowing us to figure out how we can spend more time helping our clients move up Maslow's hierarchy to a point of fulfillment. Investment management will always be a key spoke in the relationship with a financial advisor, but it should be just that, a spoke as opposed to the hub. The hub should be the relationship, and as an innovative firm, you should focus on allowing the hub more time to create more spokes to help the clients live more of their best life. Innovation changes the relationship. It allows for you to have a different relationship. But always remember that innovation should not eliminate the relationship. Gordon Morse, thank you so much for joining us. It was an awesome conversation. Really appreciate that. And to everybody else that's out there listening, thank you for listening, tuning in to another episode of Bridging the Gap. And we'll be in your ears again next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 